<clears throat> Please bear with us this morning. We're trying a new audio device, so we hope and pray everything works out this morning. I want to thank everyone for joining us this morning here at our church and also on the internet. We pray the Lord would richly bless you and draw us closer to Him this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. <clears throat> then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come humbly before thy presence this morning. Already stirred in our hearts by the hymns and psalms that we've already sung. By the time of prayer before church service this morning. As we poured our hearts out before thee. Lord, we're so thankful for your love, mercy, and grace in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray <clears throat> that you would help me this morning to be able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ in such a manner that thy people would be encouraged and comforted. Lord, we have so many perils in these latter days, so many oppositions in the world, Satan, self. Lord, I wish not to make their burdens even heavier. Yet I pray that, Father, Lord, by your grace and by your spirit and by your word, I pray that, Lord, you'd encourage us this morning in this text. I pray that, Lord, we'd see the beauty behind what so many see as a tragedy. I pray we'd see the comforts of taking up our cross and the blessings in denying ourselves. And, Lord, I pray you'd give us a greater, stronger desire to follow thee. Dear Lord God, we could never repay what you've done for us on Calvary. Yet Lord, I pray that you'd grant us the blessing and privilege this morning to understand your exhortation. And Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. I pray this morning that my lingering on this glorious text has not in any way quenched or stifled your interest and desires to know more fully of its divine truths. For there exists a twofold danger, not within Scripture itself, but with the one who seeks to preach the truths of God expositorily. The first, which is more than often found in a young or novice believer or preacher, is one is when one too briefly skims over the text, risking a deeper understanding of those things which require a humble yet more diligent and studious inquiry of Scripture. I find today this is the greatest danger amongst many professing believers today is they are too superficial in their faith, in their belief, in their understanding of Scripture is because we're not studious in studying the Word. So there's a danger in being too brief and skimming over the truths of God, which require and demand a more 
humble and diligent study. The second danger in expository preaching is when one spends too much time on a text. And this is more prone for an older believer when he gives too much detail concerning the different aspects of the text that the listeners become not only confused concerning the predominant subject of that text, but bored by the preacher's lengthy exposition. I pray I have not been guilty of either of these, but by God's grace have struck that divine balance so as both your desire and longing to know more fully the great blessings in our text has not been quenched nor stifled, but on the contrary, I pray they have been inspired and excited. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. One thing I find amazing in this text is though Peter was granted a special revelation from the Father in heaven concerning who Christ was, yet he still didn't understand, according to our text, what it took to fully follow Christ. Something that we need to diligently consider in the light of our text. For though granted a special revelation from heaven, yet Peter and all those, according to our text, who would be Christ's disciples, would not be spared the cost, the true cost of following Christ. There are a lot of people who profess to know much about Scripture and Christ. Yet our text proves you can even receive a revelation from heaven and still not know what it is, still not know the cost of following Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but with everything God reveals to us, with everything God shows us of Himself in Scripture, there comes a greater cost, a greater level of self-denial, a greater level of cross-bearing. Though Paul would be granted an abundance of revelations, is what he called them, in 2 Corinthians 12, and hearing unspeakable words which were not lawful for man to hear, yet there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, Paul called a messenger of Satan, to buffet him, that is to slap him or hit you with the fist. Lest, he said, he should be exalted above measure. So you see the comparison with Peter's revelation and Paul's? Job had heard many things about God, he said, by the hearing of the ear. Yet it was only when God manifested himself in his many afflictions that he said his eyes could now clearly see. And when he saw what he clearly needed to see about God, do you understand? Do you know how he felt about himself? He said, I abhorred 
myself and repented in dust and ashes. Isn't it amazing that in all these situations we find that the greater revelation that these men received from God, the greater they were called on to deny self and bear a cross. Paul said, I sought the Lord that He might deliver me from this, but He said, My grace is sufficient, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Man can know a lot or learn a lot about the things of God, the truths of God, yet the question of it is, is he ready to sacrifice himself and bear his cross to follow Christ? That's the question. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, Peter, if you're going to follow me, disciples, if you're going to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Beloved, much hearing and knowing, even an abundance of revelations will not suffice for our following of Christ. Please listen to Christ's exhortation. That's the example he's showing in Peter. Peter, though you've received a revelation from my Father himself, it still doesn't mean you're ready to follow me. Knowledge alone of itself is not sufficient. And how I wish a lot of Christians in this day and age of the abundance of knowledge and books would begin to grasp and understand that. The more God bestows upon us, dearly beloved, and who is or who where is the true believer that doesn't desire to know more about Christ, to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? But beloved, <clears throat> let me reassure your hearts, let me tell you that the more God reveals of himself the greater need of much self-denial and even a weightier cross is called on. Because in spite of all of that, there's still self. For unto whom much is given, our Lord said in Luke, of him shall be much required. That's said not to cause us to fear or resent growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, but as an exhortation to humility and meekness. Then said Jesus and disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And... It's as though the Lord would join these two together, the denying of self and taking up the cross, as though you couldn't separate them. He said, no, they belong together. <sighs> One necessitates the other. You not only have to deny your curse yourself, which is a very hard thing to do, 
but you have to take up your cross and follow me. With the denying of ourself, there must also be a taking up of our cross, the Lord says. Both of which our Lord declares to be a conscientious and determined choice. Not a sudden or unanticipated impulse. He says, let him, listen to the wording of Christ, let him deny himself and take up, and take up his cross. Again, the exhortation like that of self-denial is not only personal and intimate, but it's directed to every man, but one which demands a conscientious and resolute decision. We impressed that point upon you last week. Following Christ is a conscientious and a resolute, determined decision or choice that we must make as believers. And the more I ponder this text over the last few weeks, the more I see how men with their abundance of knowledge, so to say, have corrupted such divine truths and brought in such an imbalance that there's no wonder Christians don't know how to live their Christian life. One says you can't do nothing. God's got to do it all. The other one says man has to do everything. There's a balance there to be had. Yes, we realize that it is all of grace. It is God that worketh in us, both the will and to do His good pleasure. But there still is a working out which we are required to do by God. And though it is by grace that we stand, still Christ says, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. That's something that you resolutely do. That's something that you do. You decide to do. The wording is important. Christ would emphasize his taking up. Now follow me this morning because I really want to be a blessing to you this morning. Christ says, take up your cross. That's important. It's not by coercion or force. Take it up. By taking up, he's implying it's a voluntary, submissive, Resignation. Take it up. It's lying right there. I'm not going to pick it up for you. I don't want to get a hold of myself, but it's also not a cross of his own making. It's there already. He just has to take it up. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's God's cross. He gives it to us. We have to take it up. Pick it up. He's not forced. The wording of Christ is clear. Even with denying himself, let him, let him deny himself. Something we do. But also with the cross, he said, no, you take it up. It's right there. You take it up. I'm not forcing you. People talk about predestination and election and all that. We believe that God draws us with love. We come willingly of ourselves because God's love is overpowering and we come willing of ourselves to Christ. Yet we still come. But it's Christ who compels us to come. Why do we so disarrayed by an imbalance that man teaches? You this morning who know not Christ. Try not to be a theologian. 
You simply come to Christ. Amen. If salvation was any more difficult than that, we'd all be lost. Sure. Come to Christ. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take up your cross. It's a conscientious and resolute choice that Christ tells His disciples. You're going to follow me. You have to take it up. One of the things that have always impressed me about Daniel, the prophet, was that in the very beginning, the Bible says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He purposed in his heart. He diligently considered in his heart. He weighed it in his mind. And he came to the resolution, I will not defile myself. Why? Because he purposed in his heart. You know why so many Christians are so unstable in their Christian walk? They've, got, they've never made a resolute, determined decision to follow Christ. And they're double-minded. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I'm telling you, there are times in our lives as Christians that Christ simply says, take it up, be resolute, purpose in your heart. I believe that's why we have so many Christians. I believe they're Christians. I don't want to be judgmental or critical. They always remain in the baby stage of Christianity. They can never advance any farther. So that we talked once about Peter. So many people are on Peter all the time of all the mistakes he made. But Peter was one that stepped out. He stepped out of the boat when the other 11 didn't. Peter was one that stood up to Christ. It was wrong, yes, but he stepped out. Peter was the one that said, I'll not deny thee. I'll not do that. He took risk and chance. He purposed in his heart. Yes, he fell by that, but he learned by every one of them. Psalm says you want to know the deep things about God? You've got to go out into the deep. Don't stay in the shallow waters. Like what Spurgeon said, sometimes we should go out into the deep things of God and lose ourselves and come back quickened and alive. Sometimes Christians remain in the shallow waters. They don't go any further. They're always timid and afraid of everything. Christ says, take it up. Pick it up. Do you ever notice people that deny that divine truth of our responsibility and our servitude that they tend to live life loosely? You ever notice that? They do. They live life loosely. They do things that other Christians wouldn't. They live a life that's loosely. They, they kind of dabble in sin. They kind of don't care what they do or how they live. This is why so many can be without a church. So many can just stay at home and do their own thing. Why? Because they think it's just everything, you know, just let go and let God. And God takes it. No, there's a responsibility. It's a responsibility. And when we lose that divine balance, beloved, we not only lose the joys of Christian life, but we also lose the comfort which God promises us. <clears throat> Daniel purposed in his heart. Twice the psalmist in Psalm 57, twice the psalmist would declare, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. Look, that's determination, isn't it? Resolution. My heart's fixed. He didn't say God fixed it for me, though it took grace. I understand that. We all do. But David said, no, my heart's fixed. God has done such a work in me. I am determined. My heart is fixed. 
And beloved, it's only when our heart is fixed, when we are purposed in our heart, that we'll be able and willing to undertake and fulfill our duty as Christians with assured satisfaction. I know that sounds for many to be like a contradiction because then you're saying, well, you're putting too much weight on, on us and what we do. And I, No, I'm not putting too much weight on us and our responsibility. I'm saying this is what God requires of us. And a lot of times our assurance lacks because we're not resolute in what we're doing. And you know what happens, you know what happens when we do that? When we attempt something in the Christian life and it fails, maybe we don't succeed in what we thought was, was what God wanted, then we get discouraged and don't try anything. We give up. Remember the man where the prophet said, okay, go ahead and shoot these arrows out in the field. He shot, what, two or three of them, I think is what it was. And then he laid down the bow and the prophet said, you fool, why'd you do that? If you shot four or five times, God would have annihilated your enemies. But only because you shot three times or so, you'll only defeat them three times and then they're going to destroy you. You should have finished it out. Proverbs talks much about someone who's diligent. I'm telling you, there's an assurance that comes with that that those who don't believe in that lack. And you get discouraged. And you give up. The divine assurance that God works in us both the will and to do His good pleasure and if you look at that text, that comes after what I'm fixing to say. The divine assurance that God is working in us, both the willing to do His good pleasure, comes when we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Do you know how that follows? Work out, therefore, your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, for, it is God that worketh in you. You see, the assurance of that is because we're working it out. We're working it out. Take up your cross. Like self-denial. It's a conscientious and a resolution. That's what I'm going to do. Notice also that he says, take it up. Listen to the wording. Look at verse 24 again. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now listen to the wording. Though Christ describes the cross as his, listen to it, take up his cross. Yet he's taking up something that's already there. It's not of his making. And it's not of his choice. You, you, need, to, you need to grasp what our Lord's saying here. Take up his cross. It's already there. The cross, however big or troublesome it might appear to be, has been divinely appointed by God. It's already there. He's merely exhorted to take it up. You don't create your own cross. God appoints it to you. Now follow me because it's going to get very personal and intimate. Take it up. You take up something that's already there. Beloved, there's a, there's, a, there's a blessing within these words that we need to grasp if we're going to be able to bear our cross with joy. 
Within these words lies a divine mystery, which is both comforting as well as very humbling. For a self-denial is a divine lesson that we learn that God himself teaches us. If we try to teach ourselves denial, it would be selfish. <laughs> That's just our character. So God teaches us how to deny ourselves. Well, with the cross, it's the same thing. We know not what cross to bear. We know not how to bear that cross. The cross we exhorted to take up is not of our own choosing. Listen to me. It's not of your own choosing, but sovereignly, wisely, providentially, lovingly appointed by God. God has given each and every one of us our own cross. Let him take up his cross. It's one cross. He didn't say let him take up a cross or the cross. He said let him take up his his cross. You and I, every single one of us this morning, if we're a child of God, each and every one of us has been given a cross by God himself. He's divinely appointed it. Out of his infinite wisdom and knowledge, out of his providence, his sovereignty, his love, his mercy and grace, he's designed for us a cross fit for each and every one of us. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? This isn't an accidental thing here. It isn't just some various cross that everybody just picks up and we do our best to carry. There's a purpose in it because God has designed it for you and I. Just like Christ said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. God himself has prepared a cross for each and every one of us. It's our individual, personal cross. Some of you might bear more than others. You might be called on to bear a heavier cross. Maybe a lighter one. But God, knowing all of us and who we are and what we can bear, God gives us all our each independent cross according to his divine purpose. And I'm telling you, that comes out of the love and mercy and grace of God. Self is a vice, a corruption which Christ says you have to be denied. We'd never be able to take up the cross if we don't get self out of the way. We'd do too selfish. we got to deny that it's a vice, it's a corruption. The cross is a divine means of sanctification. Have you ever noticed in Scripture where the Word of God speaks about sanctification, there's self-denial in there somewhere too. They go together. So the, cross said, no, the Lord said, no, uh, self is a vice, it's a corruption. You have to deny that. But when you deny that, then there's sanctification. And that sanctification, that sanctification is in the cross that I've appointed for you, whatever it might be. You know, sometimes when you read through church history, you see how some of God's saints suffered tremendously. Calvin suffered tremendously, tremendously. The man was a walking illness. I mean, he just was suffering tremendously. And yet God so powerfully used him in spite of all that suffering, God powerfully used him. And look at all the other saints of God in, in, the, uh, in history and in the Old Testament even, and even in the New Testament. Read Paul's how he suffered as a preacher in, when he wrote to the church at Corinth and how he suffered so many things for the cause of Christ. It seems like God's people suffered a lot, but God doesn't call on us to all be Calvin's or Paul's. but he does call on us to bury the cross he's given us. The former self is to be despised and forsaken. The latter 
to be taken up, embraced, embraced and joyfully carried. It was Calvin again who once said, and I'm not saying this word for word, but concerning his illness, sometimes he'd wake up in the morning and couldn't even hardly get out of bed and he would preach every day of the week, four times on Sunday, preacher school, institutes. The guy was constantly busy. But one time he made the mention of his pain and suffering. He said, if I knew not this were but the hand of God, I would be devastated. Mrs. Job, too often, too severely criticized, said, honey, curse God and die. Job said, oh, shall we not receive good as well as evil or bad things from the hand of God? Do not both things find their foundation, their root, their source in God? Are you following me? This is not milk. This is meat that we need to contemplate and chew on and meditate on. You and I have a distinct cross. Let him take up his cross. Jesus, I, my cross, have taken. All to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken. Thou from hence my all shalt be. Perish every fond ambition. All I've sought and hoped and known. Yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still mine own. You know, we sing that song about cross and don't misunderstand it. We could ne our cross could never match that of Christ, ever. Yet it's still a cross. Cross was always a symbol of suffering and pain. It didn't pamper or gratify the flesh. It was a symbol of suffering and pain. And we could never match the cross of Christ. Don't misunderstand me or Scripture. But we sing those old hymns when we survey the old cross or the old rugged cross. Or when I say survey the cross, we say in that hymn, there's a glorious beauty I see. A beauty in what? In a man who's on a cross, who's bleeding from all parts of his body. He's suffered and bruised and battered and beaten. You see a beauty in that? Yes, because that's my salvation. In some weird, strange way, so we should look at our own cross. Never matching that of cross, but in our own cross, there's a beauty. A beauty we should see. Divinely appointed by God to help me in following Christ. Could this be what Paul meant in Philippians when he said the fellowship of his sufferings and partakers of his death? We could never be partakers of his suffering and his death to the measure he suffered and died for us. Yet Paul said there is something in that that every Christian desires to experience even a little bit of. So as Christ took up his cross and bore that cross to Calvary for you and I, we take it up with anticipation, with joy, with resolution, humbly submitting ourselves to God's will and say, God, I'll bear the cross you've given me. The measure of self-denial will always be in proportion to the cross we are to take up.
as we heard of Job and David, or Job and Paul and Peter. Have you noticed, dearly beloved, if you've grown in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how the cross of which we're speaking often has become greater over the years in your Christian life? And the requirement for self-denial has been increased. The, the heavier the cross, the greater the self-denial. And yet what joy, what pleasure, what comfort it brings the child of God because it draws him closer to him. We're following Christ. Sometimes we can't follow Christ without bearing the weight of that cross and sensing the measure of self-denial. Then we can see the way which Christ goes and we can come after him. We can follow him. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm telling you, there's something very joyous and wonderful in a crucified life for Christ. As Christ bore his cross gladly to Calvary for you and I, where he might suffer and die. Shall we not gladly bear the cross he's appointed for us, which could never measure up to his? Because as that cross of Calvary showed us the way to God, so too in some strange way that cross God gives us helps us in following God. The measure of self-denial will always be in proportion to the cross we are to take up. Yet neither, neither too weighty or burdensome to bear. Listen to me. They will never be too weighty or burdensome for us to bear. When Christ was going to Calvary, he fell beneath that cross. We all know the story. Grab some man on the side of the road to bear it to rest it away. He fell under the load of that cross, not because he was not capable of bearing it, but I believe to be a symbol of how the cross is carried and shared as well, that we carry a cross. That's why Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen. You're not going to suffer and die. Peter says, no, no. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, pursue the same things I do, you have to deny yourself too. You have to die to self. And you too, likewise, must carry a cross. Oh, not so heavy as mine was. Never so heavy as mine was. But you must bear a cross if you come after me. But neither shall be too weighty or too burdensome to bear. For the grace of God, Paul was told, the grace of God will be sufficient. And when you're at your weakest, then you will see revelations of how wonderful my strength is. For my strength is made perfect. My strength in you. Not God's strength. God can't get more perfect than He is. The Bible says, "In your, my strength is made perfect, Christ said, in your weakness. God can't get more perfect. He's already perfect. Well, what's He mean then? My strength in you. You're going to experience my strength like you've never done. But only when you're weak. What an amazing blessing. The world looks at that and says, I don't want that kind of life. The Christian says, that's the only life I want. The only life I want. Matthew chapter 16. 
24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him take up his, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, before I go any further, like I said, each and every one of us have a cross. I don't know why God sovereignly, providentially appoints someone a heavier cross than the next. I have no idea. Why Job would lose so much, I have no idea. Why some Christians bear a heavier cross, I have no idea. There are some Christians that are their entire life long suffering under physical ailments when others are not. I know not why God chooses for them to have that cross. I know not why some lose loved ones so soon in life. I know not why parents lose children. can't explain that. But I know that God will not give us more than we can bear. And when we think we are at our weakest, then we will discover God's strength like we've never seen before. In all His suffering on Calvary, in all the seven sayings, that he said on Calvary. One of the most glorious ones was he said, it is finished. It's finished. One day, dear brethren and sisters, if God doesn't come back, one day on our deathbeds, we too shall be able to lay down our cross for the final time. And with the same words of Christ, yet not in the same measure, we'll be able to say, it's finished. I bore my cross and now I lay it down. If we suffer with Him, Romans says, if we suffer with Him, we shall reign with Him. There is so much treasures to be had in what our Lord is saying in this text. It's not all negative. For here's the consequences of not denying ourselves and carrying our cross. And I'll close with this, verse 25 and 26. Four, because of what I just said. If you're not going to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me, for whosoever. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? In verse 24, he says, if any man, individual. Now he says, whosoever. Speaking generally. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You go ahead and save your life. You go ahead and, and grab a hold of the things of this present world. You go ahead and live for yourself. You go ahead and let yourself have all its pleasures. Save your life. You're going to lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Have you found this to be true, Christian? Have you found this to be true? When you lose your life, all what you want and all your desires, when you lose that, don't you find it? It's an amazing paradox, isn't it? <laughs> For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So you get everything self once. So you live out all the pleasures of this world. What do you get if you lose your soul and gain the whole world? What do you have? Or what shall a man give in exchange 
for his soul. What do you give God in exchange for your soul? Oh, preacher, I'm against that denying self and bearing up the cross. That's that's not the Christianity I want. And most people listen to that. They go to church. That's not, that's not my kind of Christianity. I, I don't want that kind of Christianity. Easy believism has been a curse for many people. Christian life was never intended to be easy. It's not easy. We live in a world that lieth in wickedness. Christ himself said the world shall hate you. We have to deal with Satan. Self, oppositions on every side. It's a battlefield. It's a warfare. The same text in Luke. The, the Luke says daily, take up your cross daily. It's something we daily carry. In other words, he's saying you don't drop this cross until you lose, leave this life. It's daily. And daily, there's always a new cross. You ever notice that? You never know what it is. You never know what to expect. That's why Christians every day when they get up and they pray and they say, Lord, prepare me for this day coming because, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think we've all, most of us, lived long enough to realize <clears throat> things can happen in a moment, in a second, that changes the whole course of our life. A tragedy, a loss. This life is so brief and flippant and... It's not secure. It's not stable. The cross we're bearing today might not be the same cross God gives us tomorrow. So we pray. We seek God. We submit ourselves to Him. And when the cross that God is divinely appointed for us is laid at our feet, we hear the words of Christ. Take it up. But Lord, it's awful heavy. We've all been there. I've been there. And Lord, this cross is heavy. I don't know how I can bear this cross. It's very painful. And my soul has been like there's a hole in it. Life doesn't make sense. I can't bury this. And the Lord comes by my side and says, take it up, son. And when you get weak, I'll help you to carry it. And so when we take it up, we find His grace is sufficient. We throw it upon our back and we see Him and we follow Him. Oh, dearly beloved, there's a lot of comfort and joy in this exhortation for every child of God. One day, one day, we shall drop our cross and we shall have pleasure forevermore. Until that day, God grant us grace to bear, to take up the cross. God give us grace to deny ourselves. Of all things, help us to follow you, to walk in the footsteps of my Savior. Amen. Who is altogether lovely. We're reading Song of Solomon's now in prayer meetings. What a wonderful book. One day, dearly beloved, one day, it will be worth it all. One glimpse in his dear face, all sorrow shall erase. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
no way a mortal man could ever expound on these truths in a way that could ever please you. Therefore, Father, we rest in thy Holy Spirit to take thy work, thy truths, and Lord, engraft them within the hearts and souls and minds of your children. Lord, this place is not a friend of God. This world is not a friend of God. Like we sang in those psalms and those hymns, the world hates and despises us. Men forsake us, abuse us, oppress us. All around us, Lord, like the old hymn says, we see things changing, change and decay, and all around I see, thou that abidest, oh, thou that abidest forever, abide with me, thou that changest not. Lord, I pray that you grant us much grace and mercy. Lord, strengthen those believers this morning that are carrying a heavy cross. Lord, I pray that you'd show them that your strength is made perfect in their weakness. Lord, help us, Lord God, in all of these things that we might learn evermore to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Thee. We love You. We thank You for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.